Welcome to Rhythm and Words, a podcast exploring the rhythm of our 20s. My name is Viv Crooko. I'm a writer, author, creativity coach, and your host on this journey. I created Rhythm and Words to be a safe space for people to share their experiences and reflect on the rhythms that guide them, and I hope that the following conversation encourages you to do the same. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and waterways on which I record this podcast, the Boon people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. I see you, I hear you, and I commit to doing better for you. Today, I'm chatting to the lovely Maya Stewardson, an actor, writer, director, and fellow podcast host. Maya has been performing and creating since a young age, and at 22, has had roles across theatre, film, and television. Like thousands of artists across Australia, Maya's work schedule was thrown out the window this year, and it's seen her adapt, explore new projects, and focus on her mental and creative health. As someone who's never been in the performing arts sector, I was curious to hear Maya's experience around growing up acting, pursuing performing arts beyond school, expanding her work into writing and directing, and what the audition process is really like. We cover all this and more in today's chat, and I'm really grateful that Maya was so generous with her time and knowledge. We had a few hassles with the internet and barking dogs, but that's in recordings for ya. Okay, enough from me. Grab your cuppa and settle in as we dive deep with Maya. So hey Maya, thank you so much for joining me. How are you feeling today? Thanks so much for having me. I'm feeling okay actually. It's really beautifully sunny on Ghana land in South Australia, so I'm really thankful for that and I'm just happy to be here. Mm, that's so nice. It's kind of sunny here as well. I'm like, are you excited for spring or are you scared for the magpies? I don't think we really have a magpie swooping season oh, here. I mean, I could be lucky. totally totally speaking out of turn here, but I I have never been swooped by a magpie. I, I quite like wow. I, I do tend to get a little, like, weird referred anxiety of summer because I'm not summer fan. So spring is great, but it just reminds uh, me that I'm about to spend months being sweaty. Yeah, I actually really don't enjoy summer either. Um, but yeah, I grew up in like far north Queensland, so it was horrible. I mean, it was fun, but it was just so hot, like yeah, 100% humidity. So before we would get started, I wanted to thank you for trusting me to hold space for you and for dedicating your time to us this morning. No, thank you. Thank you. I'm really, really honoured. Mm. So you are a freelance writer, a director, an actor, and a podcast host. So very much a multidisciplinary creative. Did you dream of doing any of these roles when you were growing up? I think I was like six or seven when I really knew that I wanted to be an actor. And I think over the years as I lived in that space and really worked hard to um, learn as much as I could from as many people as I could, it became acutely aware, like I became acutely aware that I also loved all these other things and that they all sort of used the same skill set and that was really beautiful and 
they all kind of just organically happened. I mean, the podcast was just a thing to do to keep my brain busy and that has now ended up being kind of a creative avenue that I pursue more seriously. Um, But, yeah, it kind of just all happened. I find that's actually quite a common thing where a lot of people, they might start pursuing, especially in the creative industries, where you kind of start out on one path and then you find all of these other things that kind of, like, interweave with it and then you end up doing, like, all of these amazing different creative things. They all kind of work around each other. Yeah, I mean, I certainly found that the freelance writing was a way, I mean, I'm not doing that as seriously anymore. Just during this time, the work sort of died off a little bit, but the freelance writing was a way for me to monetize easily the creative skills that I had. So I was often writing copy that was a bit like boring and dry. (laughs) And I think understanding what it means to be like a writer or a director came from me wanting to have a sustainable and like maintained career in the arts and for me that looks like being able to sort of transfer across. Mm. And do you remember your earliest memory of acting or performing arts? Yeah I mean I think I bloody came out of the womb making it all about me, like putting on a show. But my first sort of, I guess, like more serious professional gig was when I was was turning 15. So I was like 14, 15. And that was a really beautiful show that I did, which was about early onset dementia, which is a really fascinating um, and debilitating illness. But... I worked with some really wonderful actors that I really looked up to throughout all of my childhood and I think some of those early performing experiences really shaped me into the performer I was today. I mean, particularly my acting teacher from aged 17, all fundamentals, and I think I would have been a very different performer if it hadn't been for him. Mm. That's really nice. Do you guys still keep in touch now? Yeah, yeah, a bit. I send a lot of my students over to him. Uh-huh. So, like, if I or if I like, men, I mentor a few young people, um, and I always will like boot them over to him because he'll take good care of them. And and you know, my fellow actors who are all very dear friends of mine. There's a group of us who were all taught and trained by him during our childhood. There's a very particular type of actor that he tends to produce, and. You know, it's amazing. A lot of us are all still really, really close today, which is lovely. Yeah, that's so sweet. Did you, um, I know you mentioned you did acting, like, tra- would you call it training? Is that like acting training? Oh, or? no, no, no. It was like acting classes when uh, I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. So did you, was that through school or was that like an extracurricular that you had to, or that you got to pursue? It was like an outside school thing. So I remember my parents used to use it as the ultimate threat. Like I got an acting class and oh, that was the worst. It was the worst. It was used like from age seven to almost 18. That was my like ultimate punishment. If I stepped out of line, I wasn't allowed to go to drama. Oh. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't all connected to my school. I mean, I took acting at school and did all the performing extracurricular stuff, but I that was an out of school thing, which was really lovely because it meant that I had like this whole cohort of people that I could turn to when school was a bit tricky. Mm. Did you find that you had like a community, like a creative community at school or did you really find it in those acting classes? 
yeah, I definitely found it in my acting classes. I mean, school isn't for everyone. I'm lucky in that. I think when I look back at it, I realise I was just trying to survive school. Um, I had a couple of really excellent teachers that were always in my corner. And I'm not saying that, like, the students were bad, but I think I certainly... I certainly have a lot of time and respect for the teachers that really like took me under their wing and made it a safe place for me to survive there. And whilst I did do lots of really cool performing there, it wasn't where I made any of my own work. Mm. And my real acting community came from these outside classes. And then once I'd left high school, it came from the early training that I did, um, like the one-off courses. And I just happened to find a really great group of performers there who are now my community mm, that's beautiful I wanted to know um what was your relationship with your creativity like in your teenage years oh great question I think to a degree it was to a degree it was a little stilted in that you know you're I, I feel like for me when you're in an institution you're being told how to you know write the right way and perform the right way it can be confusing I was however always the student that was trying to push those boundaries so if it was an assignment that I could somehow wrangle into a script or an oral presentation or like an exhibition of weird (laughs) art and digital art like you name it I would try and work out a way to not write an essay and for the most part I was really lucky in that people were quite supportive of that I think there are a lot of young people who try and take that approach and their relationship with their own creativity is really hindered by adults around them telling them that that's not the way they're allowed to learn or the way they're allowed to show their research or explain their feelings, you know. Um, When I was sort of a teen, I really struggled with my art. I think it was intrinsically linked with Oh, combination of coming out, um, mental health, uh, being friends with and having relationships with people that weren't supportive of my um, art. And when you're a young queer person who's only just discovered themselves, I feel like that really clouded my judgment for me. So I had a couple of years where I just took 7 million steps away from it because I was too afraid of what it might represent. And then luckily I had this like epic creative awakening and (laughs) cut all these shitty people out of my life. I had this huge like sort of sexual liberation. I got really politically interested and I started making again. How old were you when that creative liberation happened? I want to say that I really was driving it. How old am I? I'm 22. (laughs) So... Last year was my, so hang on, let me just do some maths. Yeah, I would say that I was really driving my creative world and really, really like, attacking is a very aggressive word, but you know what I mean. I was just Mm, pushing for for it it so hard. I I was really like, in terms of my acting, I was just trying to chase it as hard as I could. I knew that I had a couple of years to really get some stuff under my belt I knew what my goals were that's something that I've always been very sure of is where I want to be where I want to be in five years and for the most part that's very private to me but I think having that 
in the forefront of my mind when I was 20 was really useful. And I mean, I'm 22 now, but it's incredible. If you look at me two years ago versus three years ago, they're completely different people. Mm. And so I think, yeah, I turned 20 and I started making a lot of my own work. So I was doing like independent sort of art installation exhibition things. I was writing, I was doing stand-up comedy. I was doing spoken word poetry. Like I just was trying to try as many different things as I could. And that was like really amazing to have communities that also supported that. And I could make lots of different kinds of art with different people. What do you think were some of like the lessons that you took away from exploring all of those different avenues and mediums? I mean, to the people that I mentor and I just, I'm such a big advocate for it is that there's no right way to tell a story in terms of like medium and that sometimes understanding a story gets more enriched when you tell it through different avenues. For example, there's this really common misconception and I'm sure it exists in other creative spaces as well, but I'll only talk on the one that I know of. And that is if actors do other things outside of acting, it somehow like lessens their skill in like the pure craft, if that makes sense. And I certainly had that hang up. And then I realized all of these things are all crossovers. You know, I can be writing a screenplay and producing a music video and auditioning for like one of the biggest gigs. And like this was actually all happening at once. I had these three things and I was like, they're all so different. The subject matter is so different. How is this going to affect my chance of, you know, getting this audition or getting this music video looking really good? And I was worried about it for like a minute. And then I realized that actually they all inform each other. They're all exercising the same muscle So I think if I can say anything to any creative person that has other creative interests, it, it would be just drive that, do that as well. It's just as valid. And also it makes you a really fascinating performer. I find Mm. like my acting friends who I'm the most interested with have all of these other creative avenues. And it's so fascinating because they can draw all these extra skills and experiences from those avenues. Mm. That's a really good point. I can definitely resonate with like that weird stigma around like you know if an actor is doing something else like I know when we were growing up it was very much oh if an actor is also going to write an album like go into the music industry people didn't mm. seem to take them as seriously for it even no, if they produce really it's great like work. never legitimate yes I completely agree that's such a common thing like and I think I often think of like the American Nickelodeon stars who get this really bad rap of starting as like Nick actors and then they, <laughs> and then they like go into music and people kind of like, I don't know, devalue them. And it's like, leave them alone. These kids have probably been signed to contracts since they were 12. Mm. And if they've got these other talents that they want to go and explore, let them, you know, it's going to make them better at what they do anyway. Yeah. And being somebody- And it's so funny because I think it's actually, like, I think gender comes into play a lot. When you see a man that's an actor who's also, like, a director and a writer, he's serious. Mm -hmm. But if you see this woman, I feel like that discussion is had really does change and it becomes, like, this, I don't know, like, this woman that's just trying to do lots of different things and probably can't do any of them that well. 
Do you think the perception is shifting? Yeah, slowly. I think we have a massive issue in the fact that we have very few um, queer and queer directors and female directors and trans directors and directors of colour. I think that the directing world and actually the writing world as well, like the writers' rooms, particularly in the US, are dominated by white men. Mm. And it's a problem because it means that they're telling all the stories and they naturally are going to have their own, um, I think, you know, they, they're going to be influenced by their own experiences, which are specific, yeah. not necessarily the majority. And I think that the big step forward would be diversifying our directors, diversifying our writing and our writing rooms and also diversifying our crew, you know. There's a long way to go. I think people are talking about it. And obviously COVID has made things difficult because not as much stuff is shooting anymore. But I would really be hoping that over the next five years we see drastic change. Mm, I hope so too. I'm glad you brought up um, COVID because I was curious to know, like, what, how has it changed, I guess, your life as an actor and a director this year, mm. like, in your career, I suppose? Sure. Um, look, it's certainly been tricky. I think the first thing that was really hard is not having any, like, I, I still couldn't and can't wrap my head around the fact that the arts sector contributes to so much of our country's economy and artists are constantly sacrificing when crises happen we turn to the artists who make our music and do our podcasts and we watch movies books and yet this entire group of people had their whole year at least decimated and then no financial help yeah um i i try not to talk about it too much because i don't want to read as really being ranty but i also think it's really shit Mm -hmm. um so that happened. Obviously, I had, like, work lined up for this year. That didn't happen. I had to, I guess, reevaluate what my progress in the industry was going to look like for the next year and a half because whilst it's not ruined, it's just going to look really different. I can't be flying to Melbourne or Sydney whenever a thing comes up to mm. go and do. I, I moved back to South Australia because it was financially a better option for me. So it's certainly restricted that's around, has created, I think at the beginning at least, a tension because all of these artists were like, what the fuck? We have no jobs and no support. Mm -hmm. And also we've worked so bloody hard to get to where we are. But I think also the industry and the people that run it are really good at adapting and actors particularly tend to be quite good at adapting because our whole job relies on us being able to pivot and try it a different way. So I think we're coming out of it okay. Mm. That's good to hear. It has been really hard to watch. Like I'm a writer, so I haven't been, I mean, I was never really in the industry to begin with, so I haven't really been hit too hard by it. But it's been really heartbreaking watching so many people who give so much to the economy and to the world and, yeah, we're just they're not getting supported it's really fucking frustrating yes yes I mean Mm -hmm. I guess though like you being a writer the opportunities to go on like writing retreats and to submit your stuff and blah 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 would have all diminished quite a bit um Mm -hmm. I know that was something I wanted to explore this year is I wanted to kind of like shift my energy and focus like 
some concentrated time on my writing mm-hmm. without like the distractions of other work and the opportunities to do that just were very few and far between. So I can also imagine it would have been difficult for you as well. Yeah, that's true actually. I was lucky because I was working on a book um, I started last year. So I kind of already had a huge project to go on and I was aiming for an unpublished manuscript prize. Um, yeah. That thankfully like still went ahead. They didn't pull it or anything. So yeah, I was really lucky in that respect. Like all of the bigger prizes and things seem to be happening, but you're right. So many of the smaller grants and like the writing retreats and the opportunities for travel, they've all disappeared. Um, yeah, it's that's definitely so cool interesting. That's so cool. You're writing a book. Like what? Oh, thank you. Is it fiction? Yeah. 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 Well, at this stage, yeah, it's finished. Um, it's a fiction novel. So yeah, it's, wow. it's in the competition at the moment. I'm just, I've literally been sitting here for four months waiting to find out whether or not it gets picked and then if it doesn't get picked I'll start pitching it to other publishers and if it gets picked then I can't tell anyone until next year so it's really weird oh wow how exciting are you able to talk at all about what like what it's about oh yeah sure so it's called not you only you um it is like I guess you'd say like contemporary fiction if you want to put it in a box um and it's about a friendship between um this boy and this girl and they meet when they're 13 and the story follows them over the next 10 years of their life and from 13 to 23. And it's kind of like the blurred lines between friendship and love. And when one person wants the other person, but the other person isn't sure. And it's kind of like that push pull Mm. tension um, over a really long time. So I tried to make it like, I don't like to, um, I get, it's hard to compare it to anything, but it keeps reminding me of, normal people in like the way of it's really frustrating because the characters don't line up when they should it's like that type of thing so Mm. yeah I mean I'm really bad at at explaining it but I'm really happy with it so that's great because I'll read it thank you I'll read it I'll read it I'll send you a copy um so speaking of like creating um I was really interested to know if you could tell us like I guess pre-covid what was the audition process like for a young actor in Australia or your experience of it anyway? The audition process? Mm. Yeah, uh, it varies. A lot of things actually, most things now, self-test before you go in. Um, that being said, if it's casting out of Sydney or Melbourne and, you know, you're living there, and things line up for you, you might go in and do your first audition in person. Mm -hmm. Certainly pre-COVID, there were still things that you were auditioning for via self-test, which means they send you the material, you get like a friend or an actor friend or someone to read across from you, and you film yourself auditioning. Mm -hmm. I find self-testing really hard. I, I work a lot better in person and in the room. I think that's also partly due to the fact that I grew up in the theatre world. Now but to read and take direction there and then is something I really love doing. And when you're self-testing, you don't have somebody going, oh, you know, like you don't have, you know, the casting director asking you to change what you're doing. Mm. You might work with a director on your self-test, which is always really helpful, but you do that and then if they want to recall you, they'll ask for either another self-test if you don't live in the state where they're casting or you'll go in and do more auditions. I've had, I've had auditions um, 
like all be pretty much self like three self tests and then two zoom auditions which like all in one like block which has been pretty full on very techy but it it definitely varies Mm. it's really interesting because I think well you know as someone who's never pursued acting or I don't even think I ever took a drama class like the world seems very foreign so I'm really glad you shared that because I think there'll be a lot of people listening who are just very curious to see like what the industry is actually like in Australia and you know how it works and mm. yeah that's really interesting do you so, think oh you're right yeah do you think it's like a supportive industry of up-and-coming talent or young people yes I think like in any industry you're going to have people that are really driven by competition and jealousy and often the crappier elements of the industry come from a place of insecurity. Mm-hmm. I do think that the industry harbours insecurity in or most if not all actors because, you know, acting is such a personal thing. It requires you to put your experience and your skills and your emotions on the line and sometimes I feel like we're not as nurturing of actors as we could be. So in the sense that like we make actors really fight for stuff and then actors get insecure and we get like riddled with this self-doubt and then sometimes you have actors who take on jobs or they take treatment that isn't really that great but because we're told beggars can't be choosers and to just take what you can get, sometimes actors find themselves in situations that are quite unfair and unsafe and that's not just an acting specific thing. I know a lot of people in the dance world who have really similar experiences. So I think it definitely is like is a beautiful place if you can align yourself with people that um, genuinely want everyone to have the best outcome and are not going to be hyper competitive and snarky about other performers if they get the gig because ultimately it wasn't yours to begin with if you didn't get it, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's a good outlook. How do you, um, I guess, overcome or like work through that self-doubt as, you know, you're constantly approaching new roles or new auditions? So I'd imagine it would come up every time. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's really funny. I had four knockbacks this week, which was really hard. Three of them I was, or two of them I was like on hold and in like the final two for like... Oh, man a good few months and so the longer you're in a holding pattern for the more attached you get to a role so last week really sucked they my agent was like oh, I've got so much bad news <laughs> for oh. you um and actually the advice that's worked best for me is going cool I'm going to give myself 12 to 24 hours to like feel this and then I need to drop it like a fucking hot potato and move on <laughs> and with this round of bad it was almost like there was so much rejection in one hit and I had been so connected to the role in particular that I kind of numbed out. A little was like, oh, I can't even, can't even think about this. <laughs> but I have to remember that it's not, it's not a personal attack. Mm-hmm. Like if you were crap, someone would probably tell you and they'd be like, hey, like you should work on this or this or this. But sometimes it just doesn't go your way and it can be for all these different reasons. So giving yourself the freedom um, to feel what you want to feel but then acknowledging that you need to move on is really important sometimes I can be really ruthless with myself about it like I I just can't afford like I for for my own mental health and also 
for my own energy that I could be spending on other projects, I cannot afford to be really heartbroken about a gig that I didn't get. And ultimately, if you love the material, you're going to want what's best for the TV show or the production or the whatever. And if that isn't me, then it'll be somebody else who's better. I will go and watch the thing when it's out and be really excited for that team. Mm. That's really good advice. So you have made it through. You have been a part of films and theatre productions, um, which is amazing. I wanted to know, like, if you have a preference over, like, between the two mediums and what they're actually like to be a part of once you've got the role. Mm. So film and TV are also quite different from each other. I... I haven't had like a lot of TV experience to be fair. The TV stuff that I've done has been like um, like contained episodes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I really love, I love film and I love TV in the fact that it's working with the camera and that to me just feels really intimate. I think I'm access a different energy of emotion when I'm working uh, with a camera. Like it's because it's just able to pick up so much um, on your face in a way that theatre can't because people are sitting rows and rows and rows back. I I would say that my, like, natural inclination would be to swing towards theatre being my preference, but even as I say that, I'm not sure if that's right. <laughs> I, I grew up in the theatre and there is something so magical about working with, like, this live, living, breathing audience. There's something really beautiful about the transaction that happens between actor and audience and then actor and other actors in the space. It's really, it's like a beautiful ballet that these people get to experience together. And I love live art. I think that's becoming increasingly important in a world and age that's very disconnected. Mm. In saying that, I also know film and TV is often a lot more accessible. Um, The stories and the messages can often spread wider than a theatre show necessarily can. So I don't know if I could definitely say that I can pick one, but (laughs) they all have these really beautiful elements Mm. and they are all quite different in how you approach them and and how you exist in them. For example, theatre, you'll often have like a very different rehearsal process to film or TV. I mean, my experience in film has been sometimes it's very intuitive. You just go in and kind of like do it and if it looks good, they shoot it. Other times there's been rehearsal time in film. In theatre, there's always rehearsal time because you have to repeat exactly what you're doing every single time. Um, But, yeah, they're all very different beasts. Mm. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was curious to know, like, what your creative process is and how or if it changes depending on the type of project you're working on. Yeah, sure. For TV, again, I've... Essentially, the like model that I've worked on in in TV has been very similar to how I work in the film world in that it's like all contained in one episode. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, the main thing is that I like to keep myself as flexible as is humanly possible. So in, in, in the screen world, because there are often like things that come up on the day in the moment that you have to sort of work your way around, like light, for example, or a costume thing or a particular 
angle that they want to do. I try and keep myself connected to the text enough, but also very flexible in that I can change the way I'm doing it. In theatre, however, you have weeks to rehearse, so things are really calculated, but I still like to take the same level of flexibility so that each night it is an authentic, freeing, liberating um, organic performance you know I never want to come across as being wooden and sometimes you can over rehearse and over prepare to a point where you have kind of just gone the other way and it's really inauthentic when you're watching a performer Mm. so I definitely keep connected to like what is happening in the scene I, Mm. I say it like this I say there are the lines right but what's the no bullshit version of the lines and for me, that's like, what are, what are these characters actually saying? If you had to just like a really strip it back, if you were talking to this character and they were blind drunk, what is actually <laughs> what you're trying to say? And as long as I keep that in the forefront of my brain and make sure I'm straight on that, I try and keep it pretty flexible. That being said, there are some roles and some directors that are going to like want very specific things from you. Mm-hmm. And then I adjust my process accordingly. Mm-hmm. What about when it comes to your writing? Because you wrote a pilot, didn't you, at earlier yeah. this year? Yeah, my pilot. Um, okay, so with my writing, I will normally work in <laughs> like sprint stints is what I call it. So I'll give myself like 10 days and I'll write 9 to 5 for 10 days. And then I will like piss it off for months and then I'll come back to it. So, and that's often (laughs) actually an accidental way of writing, but it's almost always because I find like a competition or a grant or something and I go, fuck, I have to just like get it done. I don't have a a thing already. My pilot is meaning because I've like, haven't written it since beginning of the year really. So I took a lot of time away from it after spending like two weeks, pretty much full-time writing. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool because it meant that I was spending like a lot of concentrated time just getting it out. Mm -hmm. But then I will come back to it later and the ideas that I still really loved are there, but then I've had time to kind of think about it. I don't, to be honest, I don't have a super healthy um, and sustained relationship with my writing. Like I find it really difficult to go, cool, I'm going to write for three hours a day for like a week. It's sort of an all-or-nothing approach, so I need to work on that. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I can really resonate with that. I think I definitely used to be like that where I just have, you know, you just go all in and you just have, it's like that beautiful creative like electric energy though when you're just like so consumed and so invested in something that you just lose track of time. But you're right, it's not sustainable and it's, it's really hard it's like when you have, you know, everyday life comes back in and you don't have eight hours a day to dedicate to to it so um yeah I definitely know with the book I ended up so I was like how the fuck am I supposed to complete this in a year for this mm. like for this prize and I ended up doing um like I set myself a goal that um Amy from Inspired to Write she talks about a lot with she has like a 500 day a word goal no 500 word a day goal <laughs> and um yeah, so I ended up setting one words. I think it was like I write until I hit a thousand words or I write for an hour. And I would do that like a few times a week because I, yeah, it was really hard for me some days where I'm like, I got nothing. I have nothing to come. I have nothing to do. But I was like, you have to write, you know, at least three or four days 
a week and then that's 4,000 words. And that's a shitload when you add it all up over time. And mm. yeah, I definitely had a few breaks, like one or two months where I didn't touch it. But yeah, you got it done somehow. So I wanted to know, um, yeah, on the topic of creativity, what is your relationship with your creativity like now during the chaos that is 2020? God, great question. Um, it's it's certainly shifted. I'm giving myself the space to like not need to work like a workhorse all the time, mm. and I'm allowing myself to do that because I was really burnt out when COVID hit. I was just like I'd had this like massive twelve months, and I was just like dead inside. So there's a lot of kind of independent sort of projects that I've had on my plate for the last few years I'm chipping away at doing but I was like I don't need to be like mass making all the time and also for a lot of a lot of it I, we couldn't because restrictions were difficult to work around so I would still say that I'm being creative I'm just doing it slightly differently I mean the podcast is a very different way to be creative but I'm still doing that I'm still writing a bit I'm still auditioning and acting and then I'm doing a couple of subjects at uni just because I wanted to like I wanted to have a moment to be creative but within very specific boundaries mm-hmm. so university has been nice for that but it's certainly yeah my creativity has certainly shifted and I kind of think that's okay to be honest yeah I think anyone who is still able to create this year I think is a huge triumph because you know, we're living through a time that, especially as people in their 20s and 30s, we haven't ever experienced, you know, anything like this. We didn't, we grew up and we didn't really get affected by like the global financial crisis Mm. in 2008. So yeah, it is a really strange time to be trying to navigate and survive and then find pockets or ways to, yeah, let your creativity come out and Mm. hopefully make something. Yeah, for sure, for sure. If you've also found your creativity to be a bit all over the shop this year, firstly, know that you are not alone. And secondly, I have something that may help. Meet the Creative's Companion. With 100 reflection and action prompts to guide you on your journey, the Creative's Companion is a journal workbook hybrid designed to support you in celebrating your creativity and cultivating a healthy relationship with your practice. You can explore the Companion in our other conscious resources at rustcreative.com.au. Hmm. What about the practices or habits that you use to support your creativity and mental health? Because you have so many different areas that you work on. So Mm. yeah, what do you do to keep yourself going? Excellent question. Well, it's something that I'm slowly getting better at, but I've learned that my holy three, um, meditation and movement, Mm -hmm. those three really keep me going so if I'm on top of my mental health in general that's excellent I need to make sure that I'm moving my body I don't love working out I actually kind of hate it I but it's so so useful for my brain Mm. because it just is quite meditative for me and you know like I wake up and I'm like fuck I have to go and do this gym class but (laughs) in the end it's good because it means I can come home and I can sort of work clearly and and that's really freeing so doing that is helpful I also cut a whole bunch of people out of my life um 
almost two years ago that were just the worst for my brain. Mm. So only having really good souls around me is really useful as well during this time, including my partner who's awesome and, and she's an artist herself. Working on my own mental health and keeping that under check and then also surrounding myself with good people is really good. And finally is just trying really hard to call myself out when I'm being an asshole to myself. Mm. So that's my biggest problem is that I can be quite unkind um, to myself and so holding myself accountable and clocking that is really important because otherwise it filters into my everyday life and then nothing gets done. Mm. Have you found that meditating has helped you like manage that inner critic? Yeah, I think... Actually, interestingly, I meditation for me looks a bit different. It it either is like just going for a walk and being very very present, or cooking and being super present. It's not often sitting down and lay. I don't always do that. I I do try and keep a real handle on my breathing, which is something that I always have had done have been doing because of you know acting and stuff. Uh, meditation has helped. Also what's helped is reminding myself that I've felt things and done things that would prove otherwise, you know. Mm -hmm. So when my brain is like you're useless and really shit at what you do and people only cast you because they feel sorry for you, which is a very common thought in my brain, I go, hmm, well, the evidence would suggest otherwise. And also I've had times where I've actually felt like maybe I I deserved this opportunity because I worked quite hard for it. And so I think that outweighs the bullcrap that I'm telling myself. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned that because it is so common, especially as a creative, to just have this really bad voice. And, you know, we have our internal voice and then we also have all the external stories from people telling us, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should go and get a normal job. Maybe you should do something more stable. And, you know, there's a lot that we have to work through to produce the art that we do. Yeah, for sure. And I just, I think it's so funny that the people who tell you to go and get a real job when you're 18 in high school and just have just found that you really want to do this, the people that shit all over it are the same people that go home and watch like episodes of Suits and go and see movies and go to the (laughs) theatre. And it's like, bro, you can't crap all over the people that want to do this and then go and participate in this arts world you know, as if you're like, oh, it's just makes me so angry. Yeah, that's a really good point because, yeah, they, we are their entertainment in a way. Like we are creating the things that they get entertained by and they can use to numb themselves from their crappy lives. So, yeah, it's really weird. Like the, mm. I mean, that's like a whole other con- like topic of just, yeah, how little people value what we do when actually they rely on it so much. Yeah, for sure. And they don't realise that. Mm. yeah so I wondered if you had any advice for any aspiring actors directors or writers who are listening or people who want to get started in the film industry particularly Mm. in Australia um particularly in Australia I think the first thing would be that if you're not sure if you can do it you should try so you can work out whether you are right or wrong. I think most of you will find that if you're not sure you can do something and you really give it a go, you'll be able to do it and that it's just your brain trying to scare you. 
Mm. I think making sure that you're exploring as much as you can is really useful listening to like there's it's so cliche but cliches exist for a reason there is literally inspiration everywhere whether it's like the conversations that you have or the music that you listen to or this weird out-of-body experience you have one night like it doesn't matter how big or small it is it's all information that can be used to make something Mm -hmm. so stay curious and kind and remember that the people that you're taking acting classes with or you're making work with or the people that you're co-writing a project with, if they stay in that industry, these are the people that are going to be your colleagues as you get older. So don't be an asshole in the community. <laughs> like be a giving and a generous artist. Be there for your friends. Support your friends so that as you guys progress and get older and really establish yourselves as actors or writers or whatever, you've got to really community more important to have a beautiful um authentic and grounding community of other artists than it is to win every single role and be better than everyone else that's like a really huge thing and sometimes people get confused because we're always being told that it's so hard to do what we do so you just need to like get every opportunity you can and you have to like win 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 the job but that's not going to make you happy in the end I think what's going to make you happy is doing work that really fulfills you and having like a space and a community where you feel supported and where you can make all the work that you want to. And the best way doing that is being really generous to your other artists in your life. Mm, That's really good advice. Thank you. Mm, I have a final couple of questions that I ask each of my guests. Uh, The first being that Rhythm and Words explores the rhythm of our 20s. So I would like to know how you describe your own rhythm right now at 22. It's pretty fluid. Mm. Yeah, it's it's pretty fluid. It's And not in the sense of like fluid like the ocean. I mean fluid in that it's like in flux and ever-changing and I'm really like working on allowing that to be totally acceptable and okay. And finally, do you have any advice for people who are about to enter their 20s? As I feel like turning the big 2-0 often triggers an existential crisis of sorts. Yeah, for sure. Um, my advice for people entering their 20s would be there is an opportunity for growth all around you. Stay curious and stay kind and really allow yourself to like participate in life, you know, I think you have to be an active member of the game to get the most out of it. So, you know, find your people and if you can't find them right now, hang in there because they will rock up. And if you're still working out your place in the world and finding your voice, hang in there because when those things fall into place, and they will, you'll be able to have a really wonderful, meaningful, fulfilling life. It's really good advice. Thank you. Oh, it's okay. Well, that was all my questions. So thank you so much for coming on today. That's no worries. Thank you for having me. I hope that the answers we gave were okay. And I hope that anyone listening to this who's thinking they maybe want to get started in this or who's having a bit of a funky time already in this space understands that it's so okay. And like we're in the middle of a pandemic, so just hang in there and 
it will sort itself out over time. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time for you and this podcast today. I know how many shows are competing for your love, so thank you for choosing Rhythm and Words. To dive deeper, you can follow along on Instagram at Rhythm and Words Podcast and me, Viv underscore Crooko. To work one-on-one with me or invest in a piece of our beautiful merch or shop our newly launched Creatives Companion, visit rustcreative.com.au.